Good morning, all of you. This morning we want to start with a German song, Liebe Vater hoch im Himmel, Merk auf deines Kindes flehen. Welcome to this morning's worship service hour from the Winkler Berchtower Mennonite Church. Our prayer is that you will encounter God this morning as we hear and meditate on God's infallible and inerrant word. <clears throat> as we bring him our worship in singing his praises and as we listen to the nurture and teaching of his truth. A warm welcome to those who will be listening to this broadcast later in the week. For an opening scripture, let's turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 4 to 7, and it reads as follows. Knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, and in the Holy Spirit, and in much assurance. As you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake, and you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you might become examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. To harness the power of God by turning to him and relying on him reminds me of a light switch. You need to turn a light switch on in order to turn darkness into light and power turns it on. Similarly, a spiritual truth you cannot expect power and light when our connection to the power source is broken or a switch to the power source is off. Too often we expect power even as we fail to rely on that power source, which is the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for being our God and guiding us through the tribulation and trials of this life and for preparing a heavenly abode for us in the life beyond the present. God, we read in your word, you are the vine, we are the branches. If we abide in you, you will abide in us, and we will bear much fruit. But without you, we can do nothing. Lord, help us to harness the power of your Holy Spirit, and let that power source never diminish. Lord, help us heal all broken relationships, and restore fellowship with you and fellow believers. 
Thank you for being our complete deliverance as we rely on you. For this we thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Come on, Helen, to lead us in more singing. The next song we want to sing is also in your bulletin. Uh, I hear the Savior say. Let's stand for this one. Time to be holy. You may be seated if you want.
take your bulletins and we'll look at the concerns and activities of the church. The Winkler Food Cupboard is our, our mission. Uh, Pastor Dean will be on holidays, take note of that. Mennonite Disaster Service is looking for volunteers, so take uh, time to volunteer if that's... I'll ask Eileen to come up and speak to DVBS. Uh, there's some volunteer opportunities in church as well, as well as persons with health needs, ABA Friesen, Carolyn Hamm, Dave Weeb, Mary Duick, and John Suderman, as well as Alice, who's a, a granddaughter to Ernst Helen Clausen. The uh, announcement for Brian and Lori Drieger, uh, things have changed, Lori passed away, uh, so we will need to uphold Brian and his family in prayer. The uh, funeral for uh, Lori will be held in our church here on Thursday at 2 p.m. So, Eileen, uh, if you want to come forward. Good morning. I'm here on behalf of the VBS committee, Anna Friesen, Judy Unra, Veldick, and myself, uh, to just uh, give you a little uh, excitement about VBS. Uh, it's one week left to go, and as you've seen, the, our palm trees will be uh, shipwrecked and find out that Jesus rescues us. That's our, our theme this year. Uh, you've got registration forms in your bulletin. Um, we are preparing for 30 children this year. Uh, last year we had uh, 15, 18 at the highest point. So this year we are hoping for more. Uh, if you have neighbors, grandchildren, uh, friends that you know that would like to send their children to VBS, please, uh, give them a registration form and invite them to come. Um, and uh, we would um, encourage them to um, sign up early just because we, we are planning for only 30 children. Also, uh, you've maybe seen the display in, in the foyer there. Um, the registration sheets are on that table. And also on the table are a prayer, prayer, calendar, a prayer calendar for the next two weeks. So uh, I would uh, invite you uh, to pick one up. We, uh, we need the prayers. We're not missionaries far in a far off country, but we also need your prayers and uh, uh, invite you to do that. And if, if by some chance the prayer calendars uh, are all taken up, I will make more. Uh, just let me know. Uh, so thank you for praying for us. Um, we're very excited. Uh, we thank all of you that have already agreed to help. Some of us have already been working, making palm trees and, and little boats and whatnot. So um, thank you very much. Yes, remember to keep VBS in your prayers as well. Take note of the birthdays and anniversaries. And then uh, let's uh, go to prayer. Lord God and Heavenly Father, we enter your holy presence, mindful that you have borne all for us, giving your only begotten Son, Jesus, as a one-time sacrifice and atonement for all sin. We confess our sin, corporately and individually, and pray that you would forgive us where we have sinned, and that fellowship would be restored with you. We thank you that you are the all-sufficient God, all-knowing, all-seeing, alone-wise God, the great I Am, King of kings and Lord of lords, who comprehends the thoughts and actions of all this world's people at one time and will guide them all at that same time if we turn to him and allow him to guide us. 
Our minds can't comprehend your greatness, but we bless your holy name. Lord, we are a needy people, and we bring before you people with health needs. Abe Friesen, Carolyn Ham, Dave Weeb, Mary Duick, John Suderman, Alice, as well as many others in our congregation and community. We pray for healing and restoration according to your will, and that you will be the provision for the families involved. Meet each one in their place of need. We pray for families that are experiencing the valley of death, that you would be the God of deliverance, presenting compassion, strength, understanding, and peace to those that are grieving. God, we present you to you, the Brian Drieger family, for this deliverance. Lord, we pray for our missionaries, and especially K and K, that you would meet the, their needs and place them in the midst of revival. We pray a hedge of protection upon them and their families, and that you would give them victory and peace in times of trial and spiritual warfare. We pray for all involved in the VBS program, as well as Bible Camp Ministries. We pray for softened hearts that will receive the living word, the seed, that it will germinate and grow. Lord, prepare all the teachers and camp staff for the ministry opportunities before them, and that they will engage with the children and be a witness. Give a special measure for those people that encounter difficult situations and where hardened hearts need to soften. Lord, there is seeming a need for volunteers wherever we look, and we pray that people will avail themselves of the opportunities to serve and volunteer. It may entail a stretching of our routines, but it usually produces much fruit. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the many local missions like the Winker Food Cupboard, Central Station, the Bunker, 1613 Ministry, and many others. We pray a continued blessing on their mission and activities and all the people involved. Lord, we pray for wisdom, guidance, direction, and leadership abilities for all levels of government, school boards, health boards, judicial system, and bureaucrats. Lord, keep our Judeo-Christian foundations from erosion. We thank you for your provision of employment and ability to have finances that can meet the needs of building your kingdom. I pray a blessing on the gifts and tithes and pray that they would be fruitful in building your kingdom. Lord, we thank you for each participant in this morning's service and the gifts they bring in the worship of your name. We pray your blessing on this service and particularly on your servant, Pastor Victor, as he expounds your word and the truths of that word. For we ask it in the name of Jesus the Christ. Amen. I see ushers come forward.
Today's uh, scripture reading is found in chapter in Second Peter chapter two, and start the reading from verse ten. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the sinful nature and despise authority. Bold and arrogant, these men are not afraid of slander, celestial beings, yet even angels, although they are stronger and more powerful, do not bring slanderous accusations against such beings in the presence of the Lord. But these men, blasphemy in matters they do not understand, they are like brute beasts, creatures of instinct, born only to cut out and destroyed, and like beasts, they too will perish. They will be paid back with harm for the harm they have done. Their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. They are bloods and blemish, revealing in their pleasures while they feast with you. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce and uns unstable, they are experts in greed and a cursed broad. They have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Beer, who loved the wages of wickedness. But he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, a beast without speech, who spoke with the man's voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These men are springs without water, and mites driven by storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them, for they mouth empty, boastful words, and by appealing the lustful desires of sinful human nature, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, while they themselves are slaves of depravity, for a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and are again entangled in it and overcome, they are worse of it than worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness, than to have known it and then turned their backs on it, the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit, and a sow that is washed goes back to her wallowing in the mud. That's for the scripture reading. Well, good morning. It's really good to be back here with you. We had a really good holiday. We are refreshed and we are encouraged when we came back and could see you again. I noticed in our bulletin there's one birthday that's a little bit to be noted. <laughs> Helena Falk, I think she turns 102 today, is that right? Or whenever that day is, 26th. 102, my goodness. Isn't that some? <laughs> that sure is. And if you did, I did a quick math on the uh, anniversaries. I don't know why I get a kick out of that, but there's a 370 years of marriage represented there. 
Another great victory. Helen, I'm just going to put your papers in the bottom here. You'll find them there later. <laughs> are they yours? I don't know. <laughs> oh, whosoever they are. Oh, I don't know who they are. Okay. Why don't we take a moment. Uh, would you bow with me as we pray before we begin this difficult chapter? Our Father in heaven, uh, sometimes your word speaks hard truth. And it makes us have to deal with things we don't really want to deal with. Things that we would like to just, and we have often, we just let them slide and we don't, we don't spend time thinking about them and we don't, we just don't want to know. But we have embarked on the study of Second Peter and this is where we are. And so this is what we'll look at today. It may lead to some mourning on our part for our brothers and sisters, who uh, people whom we have worshipped with in the past, and, uh, and it may cause heartache also for uh, family members who are walking a different road. So Father, uh, I pray that you would inhabit our hearts and minds as we take this in, and help us to understand this the way you want us to understand it. We entrust uh, that to your spirit, whom we believe is at work in us. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, the last time we were in Second Peter, we were looking at Peter's warning about the presence of false teachers in the flock of God. The assurance we took from the first part of chapter 2 uh, is, is that God is able to rescue the godly. He is able to rescue. And therefore, uh, we have uh, good hope in him. We can be secure in him. And he's also able to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. <clears throat> There's grace for the godly and justice for the ungodly. As we continue now in chapter 2, uh, from the last half of verse 10, we get Peter's description of what false teachers look like and what they do. So what I will do this morning is walk through Peter's description and kind of expand a little bit on what he wrote, and then discuss a little bit the reasons why Peter gave us this description. Why did he give us uh, this look at what they are? And then finally, we'll look at how we might respond to false teachers in our midst and in our community. <clears throat> so if you have your Bibles, uh, please follow along. Beginning of chapter 2 says this, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring destructive heresies. This is the main warning of chapter 2. There will be false teachers. Not there might be, there will be. After assuring us that God can and will rescue us from our trials, Peter begins his description. And if you've read it recently, you'll know it's not very complimentary, and of course we just heard it. It is quite the opposite. This description is also in line 
with other descriptions of those who appear to be God's people, but are not, and how God deals more harshly with them than with unbelievers generally. And that is because false teachers lead God's children astray. They actively entice followers of Jesus to worship other gods. They truly are wolves in sheep's clothing. The last part of verse 10. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. What Peter's describing here is a level of arrogance that even angels do not dare display. To blaspheme means an impious irreverence, um, no respect, and completely without honor, speaking of things or people. And with this attitude of disrespect, they do not tremble as they blaspheme. They just boldly say it, whatever they want to say. These teachers are brazen and unashamed in their arrogance. They are not only this way to people, but to celestial beings, to angels, to God. And this is unthinkable when you consider that angels do not even speak disrespectfully to the devil. Let me read you a verse from Jude. When the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. So even there, angels do not speak disrespectfully to any creature that God has made. It is not the place of men or angels to utter blasphemous judgments to people or angels, yet false teachers do it without fear. Verse 12, but these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. False teachers blaspheme brazenly without fear, and they do so about things they don't even know about. You've probably been in the company of people who speak with disdain about things that they don't know about. Their speech is destructive, and they destroy the things they talk about, and they destroy the people that they talk about. And that's why we don't want to gossip. We don't want to destroy people, right? We want to guard each one's dignity. This passage promises that these false teachers will also be destroyed in the destruction that they themselves cause. It's always fascinating to me to observe that the manner in which a person does evil is the manner in which he will experience judgment. 
But you find that over and over again in the scripture. Peter wrote that they will suffer wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. And this is justice, isn't it? (laughs) In some sense, for ourselves, we don't really want justice, do we? We want grace. But for those who do not have grace, judgment is what will come. Those who are not under the blood of Christ will receive just treatment for their deeds. Verse 13, they count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. What does it mean to revel? I found a good definition. It said, revel, revel means to take intense pleasure or satisfaction. Here it says that they revel, they take intense pleasure in their deceptions. We can see it in those who promote sexual perversion, like gay pride and drag queens and transgenderism. It delights them to declare in broad daylight what was once only declared in secret. And they do this while they feast with you. Why do we feast? We feast to celebrate, right? And feasting implies that there is, you have fellowship with everyone at the table. So these false teachers revel in their deceptions as though they are in good fellowship with the saints. We've probably all experienced that, haven't we? Yet is there fellowship? Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 at verse 14, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial, or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? I think it's important here to make a distinction. There are believers who in innocence teach things that are not properly interpreted. Probably every preacher is guilty of that to some degree. Things that are not properly interpreted. But that is totally different than someone who teaches contrary to scripture attempting to lure believers away from the truth, from what the scripture says. The false teacher is one who does not believe God and must therefore find a way to reinterpret the Bible to his own liking. There's no reason to reinterpret unless you don't believe God. You're not believing what the word says? Okay, we're going to reinterpret How long can one wander down the road of alternate interpretations without becoming lost? How long can you go down that road? Or how far? Does such a person have the Spirit of Christ? 
Does he belong to the household of faith? These are not easy questions to ponder, and we can't really answer them, but we must, I think, deal with them and think about the voices we are listening to. False teachers are not just people who make interpretive mistakes. They are people who mislead and manipulate and destroy. The problem we face is that we all know people who believe a false gospel. <clears throat> and some of them brazenly teach a false gospel with no fear of God. Though they are friends and family, we need to recognize what they are doing so that we do not get swept away by their cunning deceptions. We must also distinguish between false teachers and those who follow them. Some people just believe what their pastors say without checking the scriptures themselves to see if they are preaching what is true. Such people are easily led astray, and it's easy for all of us to fall into that trap, right? Um, if I trust someone, I listen to them, and, and I, I trust that what that person's saying is true. But it's good for us to be steeped in the Word of God and keep reading it. And if you have any question about what was preached from this pulpit, go back to the Bible. Look at those words again. And then if there's something that makes you uncomfortable, go and talk to your preacher. Needs to hear it. He's susceptible to, as susceptible as you are, right? And in this way, we keep the body of Christ. Keep it from going astray. Verse 14, they have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing. I wonder if the teaching that God blesses same-sex unions has produced greater faithfulness in marriage in the body of Christ. <laughs> or is it possible that people who believe that false gospel get seduced into thinking that maybe they'd be happier in a same-sex relationship? Which of those is more likely? <clears throat> I think I've said this before. Adultery is to the body what idolatry is to the soul. And they usually go hand in hand. Those who abandon their spouse uh, often leave the faith. And those who leave the faith often abandon their spouse. I've seen it happen. So if one teaches a false gospel, it makes sense that adultery and other sexual sin accompany that teaching. Unfaithfulness only begets more unfaithfulness. 
Plus, it produces an appetite for sin that cannot be satisfied. You know how it is when you're thirsty. Try to satisfy your thirst with a Pepsi. Tastes good, and it might, it might feel really good to down a cold Pepsi on a hot day, but it doesn't actually address the thirst. So we crave and drink more Pepsi to satisfy the thirst, but the thirst remains. Water is what we need. And isn't that how it is when we try to satisfy our God-given needs with a gospel that is not from God? We crave sin to satisfy our need, but the need remains because we do not answer it with living water. And in their craving for sin, they entice unsteady souls. Sin always demands that others approve and participate. Isn't that amazing? And don't we see it? I think that's why the gay pride movement demands that we celebrate with them and approve their lifestyle. And if you don't, they interpret that as hatred. Sometime I think I'll, I'll have to talk about disagreement. Disagreement is not hatred. <laughs> but they are greedy for sin and for approval. Accursed, the Bible calls them. Peter then says that false teachers forsake the right way and go astray. To forsake means to renounce or turn away entirely. This is a very deliberate act. It's not an accidental act. They have turned away from the true teaching of Scripture. So it's a decision of heart and mind. Why do you think that our former conference spent nine years studying human sexuality? Was it to find out what is true? Is that why they studied it for so long? The conference did not decide to turn away from the clear teaching of scripture in the first year. In that case, many would not have followed them. The false teachers reveled in their deceptions while they feasted with the flock, leading them to the edge of the cliff so that eventually they would all decide together to leap from the truth into the abyss of falsehood. And they did decide that quite deliberately. Twelve of the 36 Mennonite Church Manitoba churches now formally affirm the queer community. Twelve of them. In, June, in a June 15th article in the Canadian Mennonite magazine, there is a report about their involvement in the uh, 2023 Winnipeg Pride Parade. It says, five Mennonite Church Manitoba congregations, more than ever before, officially marched in the Winnipeg Pride Parade on June 4th. Five of them 
and one MB church as well. And they did so with banners with their names on them. And this they paraded at the Grey Pride Parade. You can look it up at canadianmennonite.org. Read the article. Verse 17, these are waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. In other words, they are empty and anchorless. A waterless spring cannot satisfy thirst and a driven mist has no control over where it goes. For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. If there's no course correction, these people will be lost forever. 18. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. The word sensual has to do with the senses. Sensual and sexual are different words. Sensual has to do with your senses, what you see, smell, hear, so on. Sensual passions are passions of the senses and whatever appeals to us through the senses, which we would include, uh, would include how we feel, how we feel about ourselves, how we feel about people, how we feel about a situation, and so on. False teachers entice through the experience of our senses rather than through knowledge of the truth and sound thinking. They say, how would you feel if someone told you that your lifestyle was sinful? Or wouldn't you want to feel welcomed in the church? Those kinds of statements are manipulative and used to great effect. Of course, we don't want those bad feelings. But the implication is that then we need to change our behavior to their behavior. Rather than listen to that kind of argument, we need to cling to what is true through the reading of Scripture with sound thinking, sound reasoning, and the Holy Spirit who dwells in those who believe. Every one of us who believe has the Holy Spirit. If you do not have the Holy Spirit, you do not belong to Christ. So if you belong to him, you can trust that you have that spirit and trust him to reveal to you things in scripture which you have difficulty understanding. He will make them clear to you. Verse 19, they promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. For if, after they have escaped the defilements of the world, through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. False teachers promise freedom. They appear to think that when they turn away from the restraints of Scripture that they're merely throwing off old interpretations of Scripture that no longer apply. 
How is it that false teachers believe that their newfound interpretation overrules 2,000 years of church history and biblical interpretation? That somehow, until now, they've all been wrong. As Peter wrote, they are corrupt. They are slaves to corrupt thinking because they have allowed themselves to be overcome by it. And in these verses is probably their most dire warning. If through Christ they have escaped the corruption of the world, but have allowed themselves again to be mastered by that same corruption, their condition is worse than when they never knew Christ. There's nothing more to be done for them. If they don't accept the true gospel as they first heard it, what is there to save them from death? The situation reminds me of a passage in Hebrews, chapter 6, at verse 4. For it is impossible, in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and who share in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away, to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying again the Son of God to their own harm and upholding him to contempt. If with the gospel knowledge they already possess, they do not repent, what will bring them back? So the false teacher is in a very precarious place. In teaching a false gospel, they have taught against the truth and bought into their own lies. And since they have discredited the truth with false teaching, how can they even trust it? It's a very scary place to be. And so the proverb proves true. The dog returns to its vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. So what is the purpose of Peter giving us this description of false teachers? <clears throat> Number one, I believe it is to help us identify them when they show up. If we practice right teaching and right interpretation, we should be able to dis distinguish their teaching from ours, but we'll be able to also look at their behavior. And it is also helpful to understand how incredibly corrupt they actually are. It should cause us to move quickly and decisively to confront false teaching when it appears. Don't let it simmer and simmer like the conference did for nine years. They just let that false teaching simmer and simmer and simmer. And it just infected so many people and then they all went. Number two, I believe it is to warn us to warn us not to become like them. All of us are susceptible to deception. And when we are coerced 
into thinking, especially by people whom we love, that somehow we're missing out, we get lured into unknown territory and we shift our focus from Jesus to the world, from sound thinking to how do you feel? And we become discontented and we are open to theological wandering. It's a warning for us. We become discontented and open to theological wandering. Listen to Psalm 73. The first, I'll read the first three verses and then at verse 16. It describes that situation a little bit. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. Sorry, stumbled. My steps had almost slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Then he goes on, goes on like that for, thir- for the next 13 verses, wrestling with this problem. And then in verse 16, the psalmist says this, When I thought how to understand this, it seemed a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. It is in keeping our heads focused on Jesus that we will gain understanding, avoid defeat, and recognize where false teaching leads. We must scrutinize our own thinking and allow others, sorry, allow ourselves to be confronted by other believers so that our gaze remains on Jesus. The goal of confrontation is always that we will remain true to Christ and in good fellowship in his body. That is always the goal of confrontation. Are you open to it? Are you open to it? Because if we're not open to it, then we're making room for false teaching to creep in. We need to be open to being confronted. And any one of you can come to me and say, Victor, I heard you say this. I read this in my Bible. And it's not lining up for me. <laughs> you, need to, you need to do that if you have to. We all need to be vulnerable to each other, open to correction, because there is so much at stake. The body can be destroyed, right? So we need to hold each other accountable, keep each other on the right path, <clears throat> and, and, and not let ourselves be infected with false teaching. <clears throat> so how should we respond to false teachers that we encounter? Again, Scripture answers this for us. I'm going to read Deuteronomy 13, which gives us God's point of view. <clears throat> if a prophet or a dreamer dreams or a dreamer of dreams, arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, (coughs) excuse me, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, so he's saying that, so you've got somebody who's saying something and it comes true, then you think that he's trustworthy, right? (coughs) 
And if he says, let us go after other gods that you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice. And you shall serve him and hold fast to him. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death. Because he has taught rebellion against the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of slavery, to make you leave the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. If your brother, the son of your mother, or your son or daughter, or, or the wife you embrace, or your friend, who is as your own soul, entices you secretly, saying, let's go and serve other gods, which you, neither your fathers, have known, some of the gods of the peoples who are around you, whether you are, whether near you or far off from you, from one end of the earth to the other, you shall not yield to him or listen to him, nor shall your eye pity him, nor shall you spare him, nor shall you conceal him. But you shall kill him. Your hand shall be first. Your hand shall be first against him to put him to death. And after, afterward, the hand of all the people, you shall stone him to death with stones because he sought to draw you away from the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And all Israel shall hear and fear and never again do such wickedness as this among you. So when you read that, uh, what do you think God thinks about people who lead his people astray. Doesn't sound like God has much patience for that. He instructs Israel to respond immediately and decisively. Put an end to the seduction and get rid of the one who encourages rebellion. God wants no deceivers in his flock. But the law to put false prophets to death does not apply to us now. So what's the answer? <clears throat> Matthew 18 is one answer. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained a brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you. That every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. In other words, he is now an outsider. Do not include him in your fellowship. Paul had similar words uh, in his letter, second letter to Thessalonians at chapter 3, verse 13. As for you, brothers, do not weary, grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. 
Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. And to Titus, Paul said, avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law. When I read quarrels about the law, I kind of thought, okay, that's a little bit what we do. If, if, we've, if we consider that the word of God is the law, uh, there are quarrels about it, right? Especially in the issues we've been talking about. <clears throat> for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, I have nothing to do with him. <clears throat> Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. So those who do not obey the word of God <clears throat> and those who stir up division are to be treated as outsiders to Christian fellowship. They don't belong in the fellowship. It doesn't mean that we have to be rude, right? We still need to be respectful of all persons. Everyone needs to be treated with the same dignity because God has created us all not only the capacity, but the right, the right to think our own thoughts and the right to choose what we want to choose. So we need to respect that. If we're rude to people, we're disrespecting God. It does not mean we need to accuse them or condemn them, right? Accusing is what Satan does. Do not join him in his work. He is an accuser. We do not accuse each other or or uh, those outside our fellowship. That's not our, that's not our work. And condemnation is not our role. Each man condemns himself when he stands before God. Condemnation has to do with judgment, and uh, our God will take care of that. So what do we do? We respect each one's dignity. We acknowledge each one's right to choose. We do not accuse. We do not condemn. What we must do is scrutinize words and actions. Those are laid out for us to observe. <clears throat> and we hold them up to the scriptures to see if they are true or false. And if they are false, and if they persist in falsehood after being confronted, then we have nothing to do with them. You don't have to hate them. You don't have to be mean to them. You don't have to do any such a thing. You're just outside the fellowship now. This is why we had to leave the conference. The conference persisted on its path, even after being confronted with the scriptures. So we had to let them go their own way. They have every right to go their own way, but we can no longer fellowship with them. In Acts 20, at verse 29, Paul said, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Brothers and sisters, those words are for us. Be alert. Stay in the scriptures. 
Let your daily reading grow your knowledge, shape your understanding, and sharpen your discernment. You don't need to think that there's a demon behind every tree. But when someone acts like a false teacher and the teaching doesn't seem right, with respect, confront it with Bible in hand. And that includes confronting me. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, these words are hard to hear. Because people we know and love are doing these very things. And we hardly know what to do. But you've given us instruction here. And so, Father, as we seek to be faithful to your word and to our Lord, I pray that by your spirit you would fill us and give us courage to be bold in the truth and to not let false teaching just be spoken and not confronted. Thank you that you walk with us. Hallowed be your name. Amen. The last song we want to sing is in your bulletin as well. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Sing all four verses and we'll do a benediction after verse three. Please stand up.
Would you receive this benediction and this blessing? Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. And now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.